Trainer Talks and Tales acknowledges the traditional owners and custodians of the land in which we're recording this podcast, the Turrbal and Yugara people of Mianjin. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Trainer Talks and Tales love having an array of guests with a variety of opinions. However, the views of the individuals do not necessarily reflect the perspectives of the host facilities. Hello, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Trainer Talks and Tales. I'm Daisy, and right by my side is Tess. Hey, Daisy. Well, we have such a good episode for you today, as always. But before we get into that... This week is a very exciting week, as on Wednesday, we celebrated International Zookeeper Day. Yes, we did. And it also, coincidentally, falls on the same day as World Animal Day, which I think is amazing. Now, if you have been following along on our social media, you may have seen that we believe we should be celebrating Zookeeper Day all week long. Not just one day. Absolutely. (laughs) So we reached out to seven different zookeepers or animal specialists from around the globe specializing in a huge variety of taxa and we asked them the same four questions yeah we have met some really cool people so far and still have a few more really cool guests for you guys to meet too now tess and i thought it would be fun for us to answer these questions too so tess question number one we appreciate everyone might already know the answer to this but what is your current job title and at what facility i'm head raptor keeper at lone pine koala sanctuary And I am a marine animal specialist at Sea Life on the Sunshine Coast. All right, number two, what is your favorite animal you work with? Some people have said what their favorite species is and some people have said individual animals. So what is yours? Oh, I feel like that's such a hard question. I feel like at the moment I'm going to go with individual. Um, So if I had to choose in penguins, I would choose Ziggy. He is our oldest chick from last year. He's super inquisitive, loves participating in enrichment and is very engaged with us as trainers, which is really cool. Uh, And then if I had to look at seals, my favorite is definitely Sly. He is one of our larger males and he's a little bit more lazy than some of the other seals, but he's heaps of fun to work with and a great challenge to learn. How about you, Tess? Nice. I remember you saying uh, about Ziggy from the first episode. Uh, Species, I reckon at the moment, black kites and individual are barking our call. Both, of course. Yeah, I think she's my favorite animal that you work with too. <laughs> now, question number three, I'm intrigued about your answer, Tess. What is the species you would love to work with in the future? Easy answer, buzzards. Ah, cool. That would be amazing mm-hmm. to see them in human care and some of the capabilities they do. Yeah, for those of you who aren't big raptor fans, they're the ones that will pick up rocks and will crack emu eggs to get the yummy goodness on the inside. It's used or utilized a lot with that natural behavior in a lot of um, bird presentations. So yeah, they're really cool. I feel like I've seen it recently and maybe it might've been at Taronga where they were demonstrating that particular behavior and there was a crow or a magpie that was terrorizing the buzzard at the same time. And the buzzard was so committed to that fake egg and that doing that behavior which was great to see no honestly it makes me feel better that we're not the only ones that are terrorized by crows and magpies during our show so the poor birds but uh <laughs> they are just so um you know hardy and determined to get on with their their job so good on them <laughs> but what about you uh what animal or what species would you like to work with 
I think I probably would say that I would love to work with cetaceans one day and probably dolphins. I just think they're so intelligent. The training is pretty incredible at what you can do with them. And I love spending time in the water with the seals. Like that's one of my favorite parts of the day that I do at the moment. So I feel like more water work and more learning around that would be something I'd like to tick off eventually too. Yeah, I can definitely see you doing that. Yeah. Okay. And finally, can you give us one piece of advice uh, for people hoping to get into the industry? Oh, I feel like we've heard from every guest that we've had on the podcast some really great advice and it's been really interesting learning about everyone's sort of pathways into the industry and how different they can be. I always recommend volunteering. You know, we both did that over going to university and I think we both got a lot out of it. It was great to get a really good insight into what actually happens in zoos and aquariums, that it's not all cuddling the animals. It's a lot of hard work. So I think it gets you prepared for that. And and then I would always say, also say, just ask questions, like ask as many questions as you can. You're just going to continuously learn. You know, you show that you're really interested, show that you're determined and you, you're just going to get any all good things out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I would agree. My advice would be the same. Volunteer, volunteer. Man, we sound like a broken record saying that. <laughs> um, and as we've said in other episodes too, just say yes to anything. If they want you to do another role in your zoo or sanctuary or aquarium, just say yes. Um, and do your own learning. Like we heard from Dan that you never stop learning and it's so important. I think people get a little bit too, oh, I want this and therefore I deserve it. But there are probably people out there that are um, a lot more experienced, a lot more motivated and have a lot more knowledge. So do research, go home, learn some facts about those animals and, and prove that you stand out from others. That's for sure. Yeah. I'm really glad that you brought that point up because I couldn't second that more if I tried. I think that's such a good point to be able to do your own research. You know, if there's elements of the training that you don't understand to research that, look into books, podcasts, videos, et cetera, that's going to help you just develop your understanding of the animals and the training that you might be eventually a part of, which is exciting. Yeah. I like that you mentioned podcasts. Nice. Yeah. Um, we'll <laughs> dropping that in there. <laughs> Probably just listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I have really enjoyed reaching out to those people around the world, reading their responses. And so we hope that everyone got a little bit out of that too. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get into this episode. And I'm really excited for this one. We were really lucky to be joined by Sarah, who is one of the primate specialists at Auckland Zoo in New Zealand. Yeah, completely agree. We we're so lucky as this episode is definitely one of my favorites so far, Tess. It's incredible to chat about their orangutan training and some of the amazing things that they've achieved. I really don't want to give too much away, so let's get into it. Let's do it. Sarah, welcome to Trainer Talks and Tales. We are both so excited to chat to you today, so thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. No, it's great to have you. So as you might have heard, if you've listened to our podcast before, we love to start our episodes with a few fast questions. Are you okay if we get straight into that? Yeah, hit me with it. Let's do it. Okay, number one, morning or evening person? Morning. <laughs> Coffee or tea? Tea, 100%. Good answer. <laughs> Apple or Android? Android. Controversial. What's your favorite animal? <laughs> oh, this is hard. I'm, I'm going to say orangutan. Of course. And yeah. final question, dogs or cats? Dogs. Yeah, dogs. 
A couple of good questions there. I like it. Thank you for starting that with that. It's always great to break the ice. Now, Sarah, we both met you at the recent ASAK conference, which is where we had the absolute pleasure of listening to your presentation all about the wonderful work that you and your facility do with the orangutans at Auckland Zoo. We are absolutely dying to get into that. But before we do, are you able to give us a little bit of an insight into your career path and to how you got to where you are now? Yeah, definitely. So when I left school, I literally had, I was just a little bit lost. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Because um, back then you could just leave school, go straight into a job or get an apprenticeship or jo- carry on at sixth form. So yeah, I was quite lost. Um, but thanks to my mum, she literally sat me down and was just like, look, you've always cared for animals. She was like, when you were younger, you wanted to be a vet. And every single like pet we had in the house, he was always the one to take charge and look after it, blah, blah, blah. Um, so yeah, she was the one who really like fast forwarded my decision making. Um, so that's when I joined and signed up to do my diploma in animal management. Um, and I absolutely loved it. So I continued to do my Bachelor of Science in Animal Behaviour and Welfare. Um And once I finished that, I wanted to go traveling. So I spent some time in Malawi and I did some volunteering there at Lilongwe Wildlife Center and Kuti Wildlife Reserve. Um, Here I had the opportunity to work with burbot monkeys, olive baboons, hyenas, owls, um, dikers, bushbuck, and the one random hedgehog that got brought in one day um so after that I traveled around for a few months and then I ended up in New Zealand and here I started volunteering at Auckland Zoo for one day a week and then after about six months I started volunteering on the primate team helping them out and after a while I just pestered them until I got a job basically (laughs) I just fell in love with the players I fell in love with the team and how they work um and I was really on board with their philosophy of care for the animals they look after so yeah I got the I was offered the opportunity to work at another zoo in the South Island um to care for our orangutans during the construction of their new high canopy habitat habitat um And then I brought the orangutans back to Auckland Zoo, which was just one of the best highlights. Um, And this is my first zookeeping role, and I've been with the primate team now for five years. Wow, that is so cool. And, like, what an amazing opportunity to be able to do a transport with such a cool animal like an orangutan. That's definitely something that I find really interesting within the industry is the transfer of animals and the importance of them going to different facilities for breeding and education and things like that too. Yeah, definitely. It was, yeah, I had to pinch myself really because it was my first zookeeping role and yeah, to do something huge like that. I mean, it was 18 months of work, um, but yeah, it just went so smoothly. And yeah, it's a day I'll never forget, really. Well, one thing we really love to hear about on Training Talks and Tales is the different pathways into this industry. Uh, I love that you mentioned that you were younger, um, you weren't quite sure what to do, and your mum said you've always loved animals. Like, we'd love to hear what are the pathways that people take and whether it started 
with a love of animals and getting into the vet field or whatever. Um, so is university something that's completely necessary in New Zealand? Is that something that you found working in New Zealand that other people went to uh, university first? Yeah, I mean, my degree definitely put me at an advantage, um, but also volunteering helps get my foot in the door. Um, I was able to meet the team, share with them my knowledge, um, show how hardworking I was. Um, and although I did my studies back in the UK, it was similar to New Zealand, where when you do your degree, you get to do a lot of um, work experience at facilities. So this really gives you the opportunity to make an impression and to meet people. And I feel like zookeeping is has, is only just beginning to get recognised as like a real science-based industry. Um, we're not only um, animal carers, we are researchers, we're conservationists, behaviourists, nutritionists healthcare providers and so much more on top of the daily labor we put in to give our animals like the basic level of care that they need um yeah so good modern zoos are science-based organizations so I feel like a degree is pretty much expected now yeah, I really love how you said about how science is becoming more part of our job roles. And like you said, there is so many things that make up exactly what we do. And almost just saying that we're just zookeepers isn't quite enough, I feel like. You know, it gives a great oversight of what our title is, but there is so much more that's involved in, in what we do and so much study and knowledge too. Yeah, definitely, definitely. We're just constantly researching each and every day to make sure we provide our animals with the best care possible. Now, I obviously really want to talk about the orangutans. I'm so excited to dive into this. So can you give us a little bit of an introduction to your orangutans that you have at Auckland Zoo? Um, yeah, so we have four Bornean orangutans at Auckland Zoo. We've got our adult male, Charlie, who's that a 42, and then we've got our adult female, Malor, who's 35, and she gave birth to Barmy last year in March, so he's over a year old now. And just recently, we um, received our female, Daya, who is 11 years old. Yeah, nice. And uh, obviously, we loved your presentation at the ASAK conference, and we'd love to talk a little bit more about that. Um, we saw your presentation about Mula and her pregnancy with Barmy and the training you achieved with her. And in particular, presenting the baby, and it's just incredible what you achieved. Can you get into a little bit more about uh, what was involved? Yeah, so um, when we found out Malo was pregnant, we threw together a whole birth plan that covered any possible scenario that could occur. Um, and one of these scenarios was if the baby needed um, medical attention or veterinary attention or needed um, supplement feeding or anything like that. Um, so one of the behaviours we trained was the presentation of the baby and the main goal was to have Malaw hold the baby close to us so we could give him a visual check. We could also um, give him a physical check as well and we could feed him with a bottle if needed. Um, so to train this, we used a fake baby, um, a teddy bear sloth, it was. Um, 
and we had Malara in, our, in her training crate, um, which is our newly designed crates that connects to the back of house night rooms. And we basically, she already knew the behavior trade, so she knew how to trade things with us. Um, so I started off with that and then captured her holding the baby up and then getting her to hold so she knew how to hold certain behaviours. And when she we worked on prolonging the time of her holding the teddy bear in position, um, at first it was tricky trying to capture her holding the baby there because of the whole trade thing. She was trying to purse the whole teddy bear through to me. But yeah, so we extended the amount of time and then we'd then progress to touching the baby while she was holding it in position and using a giving it a bottle um, and holding that there. And yeah, she picked it up incredibly fast. I mean, orangutans are super intelligent species and Malaw is incredibly food motivated, so it makes it even easier for us. Um, but she's also a really confident individual as well. Um, so yeah, it, she picked it up really fast and she understood that we wasn't going to take the baby from her or anything. We just, she was just to show us and we could check the baby over and make sure everything was good and he was healthy and there was nothing wrong. That's so impressive. Like, I don't know about you, Tess, but this, your presentation was absolutely the one that I have told the most people about in how current and how progressive this industry is and what we've been able to do. And I'm right in saying that that training that you did with the plush toy then worked its way to actually presenting her baby and you guys being able to do full checkovers of that baby. Is that right? Yeah. So um, after she gave birth, she actually gave birth at 11 a.m. in the morning. And so it took her a while to rest and recuperate herself and get her energy back. And it was close to the end of the day and she came over to me for some food and um, so I gave her lots of fluids and juicy fruits and coconut water and things like that to get help get her energy back up and she had Barmy with her and I just pointed to him and was like present baby and she just leaned forward with him and showed him and we was just able to just look and we didn't touch him or anything um because we was pretty happy with what we saw throughout the birth because we were there able to witness the whole thing um, she cleaned him up really well um, she was holding him in the right position and then a few hours later we saw him breastfeeding so he had a really strong latch and his cheeks were going in properly so he was really taking in the milk yeah so I was really happy with everything we saw and like visually he looked really healthy too. That is so incredible. And hearing you say that, I'm even getting emotional thinking about that, that 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 training can translate from a teddy to a newborn bubba and having the the confidence and the relationship to to present bubba to you like that is just incredible. And I remember watching a presentation and just being in awe of it. So yeah, congratulations to you and your team. That's such an achievement, that's for sure. Thank you. Yeah, I, I'm even getting goosebumps now talking about it. Quite emotional. We literally, when he was, when Malaw was giving birth, it was silent for like ages. And then we just heard this little orangutan baby like squeak. And we all just burst into tears. Honestly, it was such an emotional day. 
Oh my gosh, um, I can't even imagine how precious that would have been for you and everyone involved. Now, obviously, you do train a few other behaviors with your orangutans and a few other related pregnancy behaviors that you mentioned about too. Do you mind just diving into some of the other important behaviors that your orangutans know? Yeah, definitely. So um, the other behaviors we did with Malaw was also um, using a breast pump. Um, so she already knew the basic behaviors of displaying certain body parts, so her tummy and her nipple and things, other various body parts. So I'd ask her to present her nipple and then I'd just place the breast pump on and then just prolong that increase the time that it was held in place. And this was in case we needed to um, take milk from a lot to like supplement feed the baby in case there was anything wrong with her um, and she needed veterinary attention and she wasn't able to um, feed the baby. And also we worked on a Doppler, which is the fetal heartbeat monitor um and she was already used to this device she'd seen it before but she it was the problem came when we went to go use the jelly so she'd always try and eat it and I said well Laura's very food motivated she will literally just try and eat (laughs) (laughs) oh my god Um, yeah so we started off with small amounts and would reinforce her when she was just ignoring it and then we'd just gradually increase it to the amount we needed to get a good reading and but we also with the our new facility with the training crates that we have we are now able to train for um procedures that would only usually generally occur um under general anesthetic so with these crates where we have the ability to to take um, conscious voluntary x-rays and blood withdrawals um, and they've got scales incorporated into them as well so we can take their weights and all of these things are really important for um, orangutan care because they're so susceptible to respiratory disease and heart disease as well so it's really good that we can x-ray the chest area um, and get a good reading of that and also cardiac um, ultrasounds as well we've been able to do train for. Wow that's so incredible it sounds like a lot of your energy and training is focused on the, those important husbandry behaviours. Do you find that each orangutan has their own sort of primary reinforcement that they prefer? Uh, Malaw's not very picky. <laughs> we'll eat jelly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we'll eat jelly, herbal tea jelly. Um, <laughs> and yeah, no, her favourites are dry fruit, things like that, things that are really sweet. Um, Charlie loves a bit of peanut butter. Um, and we've actually, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we've actually um, moved to fruit free now. Um, previously they'd just get one piece of fruit in their lunchbox which was purpose the purpose of that was for training and so now with our reinforcers our primary reinforcers things like nuts peanut butter maybe a bit of jam every now and then something if we need to give them a really good reinforcer Um, but secondary would just be like cooked root vegetables and they really love peas as well Interesting. Now, you mentioned before that obviously orangutans are highly intelligent, but what is something you've learned since working with orangutans? Just how to be creative and learning how to think on my feet. As you guys probably know, working in our industry, 
it's very rare that a day goes to plan. Like you always have to think of plan A, B, C, D, <laughs> and just think think of what you can do to make it work. And especially when you work um, with a philosophy where you work with free thought and it's all down to the animal's choice and respecting their decisions with no negative coercion or consequence. So if they say no to something, you think, right, well, what can I do next that they're going to be comfortable with and will work for us? And yeah, it's just being creative and thinking of different ways and making each day different for them as well, making it more exciting and less predictable. Yeah, that sounds so important. It sounds like you've learned a lot about yourself and you've developed a lot of your skill set as well whilst working with such an incredible species. So I can imagine they'll absolutely keep you on your toes. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> now we do have a couple of questions for you, Sarah, from our listeners on our social media. So question number one came through and that was how does social group dynamics affect training within the group or if they do affect them at all? Yeah, so I've had a couple of scenarios where that's happened. Um, when we used to have our older lady, Juanita, um, she unfortunately suffered with um, orangutan respiratory disease. Oh. So she needed to have um, a nebulizer antibiotic. Um, so it's like a vaporized antibiotic that she needed to take um, every month on and month off. So she'd have like a month break in between her treatments. And this usually went smoothly and she was incredible. She, I think she had quite um, enjoyed having the sessions. It'd take about 10 minutes for her to take the whole treatment. Um, and she'd just sit there breathing in the treatment and we'd just give her lots of like gummy foods and just reinforce for it and make it a positive experience. Um, but Malaw being cheeky and <laughs> hungry. <laughs> a little bit pushy, <laughs> yeah. She'd come over and see what Malaw had and she'd uh, what Juanita had and she'd like either secretly be pulling Juanita's hair or just just trying to irritate her um <laughs> so we had to think of ways in order to keep them busy so we'd do this by either the trainers um Charlie's trainer Malar's trainer coming in and doing a session at the same time or we'd set up do a setup for them too and Winita would usually come over to us because she knew we'd have way better food for her than what we'd set up for Charlie and Malar but then we also, separation training really came in handy for this because we was able to bring the orangutans in, do a setup in the habitat, let Charlie and Malore out. Charlie and Malore would usually be out first and then Juanita would be behind. And then we'd just kind of show Juanita her nebulizing kit and the training pouch and she'd just hang back. And then we'd just be like, can we shut the slide? And she was usually happy to be shut in and then we could just come give her her treatment in peace and quiet and not get annoyed by him a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I love that she's so cheeky. <laughs> now, so cheeky. the last question is actually a good one. It's um very interesting. Is it difficult to fulfill the enrichment needs of such an intelligent primate species and what types of enrichment do you prefer using? So, yeah, it is. It is quite difficult, um, but this is where you need to be creative and think on your feet and think outside the box. So we do offer a range of like 
food enrichment. Um, so we're quite lucky in our facility where we have a number of ways we can present food to them. So we can do, we've got our training walls um, which are on display and we can do a training session there and give them food through there. Or we've got our aerial pathways that are around the zoo and they have um, arboreal feeders on them which are designed, the feeder itself has like a number of holes around it and then it goes into a case. Um, so it makes it even harder for them to try and manipulate the feeder to get the food out. Um, and we also have like little nests at the top of our um, towers. So we can, we use drones to drop frozen parcels into the nest. Wow. Drones. This, so then they come out in the morning and have access to the aerial pathways and they're like oh little frozen parcel here <laughs> that's so cool I would not have expected you to say they use drones for orangutan enrichment like that's so cool yeah, it's, pretty, it's something that's relatively new and it's pretty cool um so yeah we do that every now and then one of the main things we do which I feel is so important is we make everyday different so it's quite hard to do because of like with our other commitments throughout the day it's hard to not fall into a routine but it's so important not to because if you have a routine it becomes boring and predictable and then you start getting undesired behaviors from the orangutans so every morning for example instead of just doing a training session and feeding them back of house we can set up puzzle feeders in the outside raceway or we can shut them inside and do a big setup in the habitat or we can set up the aerial pathways instead or shut off an area back of house and set that up we're quite lucky in our facility to have that flexibility in the different areas so we can try and change it up a lot more so yeah it's just about being creative and thinking of different ways especially we're lucky with the environment that they're in um but also you can set up things back of house as well. So things that encourage tool use. So using tubes that we can put honey in and some seeds and they can use sticks to then um, pick it out or fishing. I actually set up a little paddling pool back of house and filled it with water and put peas in it and made like a little makeshift net and they was just like scooping the peas out and <laughs> trying to get them. <laughs> Okay, I feel like you're going to have to send us some of photos of this enrichment because <laughs> this is pretty epic. <laughs> Definitely. And you have to see Charlie's concentration first as well. It's amazing. Do you ever find with them being such an intelligent animal that those cognitive enrichment things, they work out quite quickly and that you need to keep them different fairly regularly? Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, the especially the feed enrichment and things like that, they do work out pretty quickly. So it is... That's where the whole keeping everything different and making sure you change things up regularly is um, super important. And that's why we don't really have like a feed and enrichment schedule or anything like that, that you might have for tamarins or squirrel monkeys or other primate species. Um, yeah, it's getting creative. And we also work that with how we roster our team on as well. So we like to give people a good run on the ape house front, like all the primary caretakers of the um, orangutans. 
but it's also important to change those people up so you get fresh ideas fresh head you know think think of how we can make things different yeah that's a really good point I've never really thought about you know enriching being the keepers themselves as well and making sure that you get those fresh ideas come through because I can imagine just being the same person like you're you get used to seeing the same thing so that fresh set of eyes can be so important yeah definitely definitely it really helps well Sarah I have had such a blast learning so much more about orangutans and I actually think you probably have one of the best jobs in the world (laughs) thank you so much for having me it's been really fun no we're so grateful thank you so much for your time thank you Sarah Tess, I absolutely meant what I said when I said Sarah's presentation was one of my favorites at the conference and how incredibly cool to be able to see what's being able to be achieved at different facilities through positive reinforcement. Yes, I would agree. I have a special place in my heart for orangutans and I love that presentation too. And yeah, I was teary. I'm not afraid to say it. It was yeah. it was incredible. Yeah, definitely a really cool chat. If you do want to reach out to Sarah to chat even more, we will pop her details in the show notes. But for now, we will be back in your ears next week. See ya.